you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts, chapter one, uh, chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. I want to talk to you about the biblical role of the deacon. Now, in this study, we're going to focus solely on the role and the responsibilities. That's going to be our focus this morning, you know, on the role and the responsibility of a deacon, because if we're truly to understand the role and the responsibility of the deacon, we must do so not by tradition, rather than by guidance, uh, biblical guidance for that office. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to put tradition aside and see just what the Bible has to say about the role and the responsibility of the deacon in a New Testament church. Now, in a modern-day church, East Texas in particular, it assumes and sometimes expects that the church be deacon-run rather than pastor-led. Now, in the the book of Acts, chapter 6, the Bible says this, And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a mummering among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily ministration. And the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them, and they said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, or because of this, Look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, you may want to underline this business because that is the key to this passage. All right? That we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. Now, we know this wasn't a Baptist church because everybody was happy. In other words, this pleased everybody. Have you ever seen a Baptist church where one decision pleases everybody? So we know it wasn't a Baptist church, okay? Uh, that, that, I don't guess that's sacrilegious to say that. Anyway, let's read on. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Pontus and uh, Nicar, and Timon, and uh, Paramius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid their hands upon them. Now, since the last time I preached this message, in fact, the last time I preached this message was August the 31st, 2014, because we was getting ready to ordain some deacons, and we wanted everyone to understand, you know, just the role and the responsibility of the deacon within a New Testament church. And since then, as you know, or you may not know, you know, we have a podcast we on Sermon.net. And since that time I preached that, there's been over 227 people, you know, listen to this sermon, you know. And the one reason I believe that many have tuned into this message is because of the misunderstanding of the biblical role of the deacon in the New Testament church. Now, the reason we're doing this this morning is because tonight in our monthly business meeting, we're going to be looking at Brother Robert and Brother Keith, who have already been ordained at another church, but they've never been active within this church. So we're going to be voting tonight 
on them becoming active deacons within this church. So therefore, we want everyone to understand the biblical role of the deacon within the New Testament church. Now, I have already provided them, you know, this sermon and told them, listen to this sermon because this is the way I view the biblical role in a New Testament church, and neither one has had a problem with it. That is great. Okay? So let's take a look this morning to, uh, to understand the biblical role of the deacon. And let's begin by taking a look at this. The New Testament deacons, go back to where you was, John. The New Te- Testament deacons serve the Lord by conducting the caring ministry of the church, by doing the benevolence work. Now, when I told you to underline the word this, the reason for that is because the business that they was appointed over was the benevolence business within the church. It was the food distribution program that was going on in that church. So it's the caring, doing the benevolence work, visiting the sick, sick, being alert to the spiritual needs of the congregation for the purposes of freeing pastoral staff to focus on prayer and ministry of the word and also promoting unity within the church and facilitating the spread of of the gospel. So now let's take a look here at the biblical role of the deacon. First of all, we need to understand that deacons and elders are two distinct offices within the New Testament church. They're two distinct offices. They're two separate offices here. These two New Testament offices are mentioned in Philippians 1.1. They're mentioned together, okay? And also 1 Timothy 3, uh, they're mentioned together. And in 1 Timothy 3, we see the qualifications are spelled out, first of all, in verses 1 through 7 for the bishops or the pastors, and then the deacons in verses 8 through 13. The qualifications are similar, but there are some differences in those qualifications. Okay, for instance, just one, you know, uh, pastors or the bishops or the elders, they were to teach. They were able to teach the Word of God. Where when you look at the, uh, the responsibility of the deacon, you don't see that the deacon had that expectation. Now, it's good that they can, you know, and again, it shows their spiritual level when they're able to, but this is not one of the things that the apostle said, find men who can teach the Word. Okay, that responsibility was placed upon the bishop, the pastor, the elder. Okay, so the difference in the title and qualification means that the offices are distinct. In other words, they're two separate offices with two separate responsibilities. You see, the pastor, the elder, the bishop, we're going to see that those words are used simultaneously within the Word of God. You know, they have a specific responsibility. The deacons have a specific responsibility. And that's what we were here to understand this morning. Now, the term bishop is translated overseer. In other words, the person who oversees the congregation, the person who oversees the church. The word, we get our word of overseer, we get our word episcopal from. Now that means to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, to care for, and it's talking about to care for the church to oversee the church, to overlook the church, to care for the church, that responsibility rests upon the bishop, the pastor. So the term is also used interchangeably, like I said, with elder, shepherd, pastor. And there's no question, you know, of the authority that the pastor has. When Paul wrote Timothy, 
You know, he said, let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. So it's easy to see that responsibility of the pastor was, was, was to oversee the areas of the sp- physical, spiritual, and administrative uh, needs within the church. Now, on the other hand, the word deacon is translated servant, Okay. The title itself is as descriptive as any job description can be. In the Bible, words have uh, meaning, and the word deacon simply means servant. Now, here's how the word is defined in its various forms, okay? The word is uh, diacono, and it derives uh, or derivatives are used mainly for personal help, okay? It's found 34 times as diacona, okay? 34 times it's found as diacona in the New Testament, and it means to service at tables. And 29 times it's defined as diaconos, 29 times. And its primary meaning also is one who serves tables. So as we can see by the name itself, that is the responsibility of the deacon within the church, the service, meeting the service needs of the congregation. And this was the purpose of seeking the first seven deacons in Acts 6 to serve tables at the food distribution program the church was involved in. So no matter which form it's used, the word deacon always means servant. It never means leader. Okay, so now in comparing the two offices, there's three facts that stand out. First of all, the offices are distinct. Elders slash pastors are not deacons, and deacons are not elders slash pastors. Second thing is the terms elder, pastor, shepherd, and overseer, bishop, okay, are used simultaneously in the New Testament. They they switch off, okay? And the third thing is, in the New Testaments, elders had the role of the general oversight of the church, where the deacons had the role of the service to the church. Look, a New Testament deacon understands that he's there to take a burden off the pastor, not to be a burden to the pastor. And in a lot of churches, that's the way it is. Rather than taking a burden off the pastor, they are a burden to the pastor, okay? But a a, a spirit-filled deacon understands his role is to take a burden off the pastor. Now, the second thing is the office of deacon was created for the purpose of handling the benevolence uh, uh, needs within the church. We've done seen that, so let's dig deeper into that. The biblical account is quite clear here on the founding of deaconship, and nowhere does the Scripture, you know, ever repeal the original purpose. Nowhere in the New Testament can you come back to and say, okay, well, initially this is what it was for, but look at this passage. It has changed. No, it's still the same as when they initiated the responsibility. Now, let's take a look here. Uh, how the Amplified translates this. I love the Amplified version. It really adds to. Let's read it out of the uh, Amplified. Now, about this time, when the number of the disciples was greatly increasing, complaint was made by the Hellenists, that is, the Greek-speaking Jews, against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked and neglected in daily ministration, that is, the distribution of relief. 
So the 12 apostles convened the multitude uh, of the disciples and said, It is not seemingly or desirable or right that we should have to give up or neglect preaching the word of God in order to attend to serving at tables and superintending the, uh, the distribution of food. Okay, so to solve this, he says, Therefore, select out from among yourself, brethren, seven men of good and attested uh, character and repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may assign to look after this business. Again, the key word is this business. Some people want to say the business of the church. No, this business is making reference to the food distribution only, okay, the service of tables. So the office of deacon was established to free the apostles who functioned as the first pastors of the church to, to prayer and to prepare ministry of the word. And the apostles in dealing with the benevolence ministry, uh, you know, the problem in the church, you know, it, it was solved as a result of that. Again, they said it's not desirable that we leave the word of God to serve tables. You see, the role and the responsibility is to feed you on Sundays, to feed you on Wednesdays, okay, the spiritual word of God, okay? And the only way a pastor can do that is spend time in the word of God. And what was happening is the pastors were trying to study, to, to prepare their messages, and, and then over here they was trying to, you know, distribute the food and over, you know, to look after that business, and it was just splitting them apart. That's why they said, look, we've got to focus on the Word of God because we got the entire congregation to take care of spiritually. So you find seven guys that can take the, uh, uh, and meet the needs physically of the people. Now, some, again, have understood this passage to mean the role of the deacons to oversee the business of the church in so much as the administration building of the church. But, again, this could be no farther from the truth in his teaching. First, the text says this business, not the business. And again, this business is making reference to the business of benevolence, of serving tables. Second of all, the word business, when they say this business, is the Greek word sharia, which means need. So what the 12 were suggesting is find certain men set aside for service need of the congregation. So, what would some of the criteria require for these men? Let's look at this. First of all, deacons were selected for their spiritual qualifications, okay? For their spirit, uh, physical uh, uh, qualifications. First Timothy 3 and Acts 6 expound on the qualifications of the office of deacon and, and later contains what would fairly be called the core values, all right? First of all, John, there you go, catch up with me. First of all, men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That was the first thing that was required. Find some guys of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the second thing is we see that they chose Stephen and the other six because they were men full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's why they were chose. You see, often when we see someone uh, mentioned as a possible deacon candidate, we hear such things as, well, they attend regular and they're a good giver, so they must going to be a good deacon. 
Well, first of all, the Bible says if a man desires the office of deacon. So many times I see churches that they just say, well, we want you for a deacon. We want you for a deacon. You're, you know, you're, you're attend quite a bit. We want you for a deacon. That person may not even desire the office. But the Bible says if a man desires the office of deacon, desires the office of service, he desires a good thing. So that desire must come from within the person, not from the congregation. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, yeah you may look at somebody and, and put a bug in their ear. Won't you be praying about this? But I've seen churches, they just pick people and say, we want you as a deacon, you know, we're going to ordain you, and this is the way it's going to be. That person may not even have the desire for that. So God is looking for men with an internal dynamic which cannot be determined you know, in a superficial way. God looks for men that others speak well of because of their spirit-filled life that leads to a heart of service. Now, the next thing we see here is this. Deacons are to be capable of serving the Lord in spiritual ways. Now, the original seven, you know, they, they, they were men who were able to serve the Lord in, in, in ways which were more spiritual in nature than just serving food. John, catch up with me, son. There you go. Okay. They, 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 were, they were there to, to, to serve the church more than just delivering food. Again, Stephen was a man of spiritual power, and Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost and faith, we're told, and he'd done great wonders. Philip was not only a deacon, but he is also gifted in evangelism. So deacons need to be people or men that others look up to for their spiritual level. Now, the next thing, office of deacon requires a firm grasp on sound doctrine. Okay, let's talk about this. A church is content-oriented, and it's doctrinally driven, you know, it's a doctrinally driven community that's built on truth. Every member, in fact, Brother Gerald said something to me, I think it was last week, I was talking in Sunday school class about every member needs to be spiritual enough that if the pastor stands up here and preaches something that is not biblical, they recognize that. Ain't what that, you said y'all talked about that in Sunday school. You know, and that's the way it should be. Every member should be at a spiritual level that if I get behind this pulpit and I mislead you from what the Bible has to say, if, if, if the things that I are bringing to you are not scriptural, biblical doctrine, you, everyone, ought to be able to click and say, Pastor, I, I, we need to talk about this. But you know what? Especially the deacon. They need to be at that spiritual level that they recognize false teaching. Okay? That's what they're talking about there, that they had a firm grasp on biblical doctrine, and they put more stock in the biblical doctrine than they did trans, uh, um, tradition. Now, the next thing, the deacon should advance unity within the church. This is where I've seen some churches really out there in left field, okay? Let's talk about this for a moment. When the apostles laid out a plan for the creation of the office, what was we told in verse 5? The saying pleased the people. Everybody was happy. Yeah, this will work. Pastors, y'all stay in your office. You study the Word of God. You bring us, you know, the, the Word of God. Deacons, y'all serve the table. You serve the other needs within the church. You meet the physical needs of the church. The pastors will meet the spiritual needs of the church. And what's it say in verse 5? Everybody was happy. Okay? This will work. 
It pleased the people that were told here. So what we see is that the complaints about the benevolence problems, it stopped. No more complaints from the people. Why? Because the pastors were doing their responsibility, the deacons were doing their responsibility, and there was unity within the church because of that. You see, any time a church has deacons who are properly doing their job, the church is more likely to be in unity. You know, you show me a church that has no unity, and I'll show you a church where the deacons are probably not doing their job. Now, here's a very important thing, because this is what I have seen so often in a lot of churches. You know, so far, I've been here 19 years, we've never had this problem here, okay? But here's the thing. A spirit-filled deacon will seek to disarm disgruntled members in order to preserve unity within the church. Now, believe it or not, in Baptist churches, there are disgruntled members. I know that's hard to believe, but trust me, I've been doing this for 30-some-odd years. There are disgruntled people sometimes even in the Baptist church. Well, a spirit-filled deacon, they're going to seek to disarm these people. Not throw gasoline on the fire. And I've seen that happen, you know, in other churches. Look here. Deacons cannot allow themselves. Now, listen to me. Deacons cannot allow themselves to become a mouthpiece for disgruntled members. And what I mean by that is a disgruntled member comes to the deacon and he starts laying out all of these complaints against the pastor or the staff or whatever. And then he tells the deacon, you need to go and you need to tell pastor that people are upset about this. Okay? Now, the deacon may say, okay, I'm going to tell him who, 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 who come to me with this. No, 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 no. Don't mention my name. Okay? Well, then you come with me. No, 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 no. You know, I, I don't want to go. That's what you're for. You're a deacon. Your responsibility is to take care of this. Listen, a deacon like that has become a mouthpiece to a disgruntled member. And all it's going to do is cause problems in the church. Listen, if that person does not want their name mentioned, tell them you're not going to the pastor. If that person don't want to go with you, tell them I'm not going to the pastor. Because they're using you, okay? You're being a mouthpiece to them. And let me just tell you, let me just tell you, I've had to do this before. You know, I've had to tell a deacon one time, actually a couple of them, look, who is the person? Well, they told me not to tell. Then I don't want to hear it, you know? Won't you go get them and bring them in? Well, they said they don't want to come in here. Well, I'm not going to hear it. And I've had to tell deacons this before. If you can't tell me who it is, if, if they're not so concerned about this problem they have that they do not want you to use their name or they're not willing to come in here, I don't want to hear it. It's closed. And I've had to do that a few times, okay? But I'm not going to allow my deacons to be a mouthpiece for somebody else who is disgruntled, okay? And that's uh, a deacon, you excuse me, a deacon shouldn't want to be manipulated by a disgruntled member like that. See, that's what the deacon needs to understand. They're manipulating you. They're using you. And a deacon should not want that. Let's move on. The deacon should advance the cause of evangelism within the church. You see, the immediate impact that we see of the creation of the office of deacon 
you know, it, it, it was to eliminate controversy in the church and get the church back on course of fulfilling its mission. The, the Bible says in verse 7, then, what's it say? Then. When is then making reference? When they ordain the deacons to take care of the physical responsibilities. Then, after that, after the pastors were studying, the deacons were serving, then the word of God spread. You, you see how it worked? Then the word of God spread, then and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In other words, the church really began to grow. People were beginning to be saved. Why? Because the pastors was fulfilling their roles, the deacons was fulfilling their roles, and greatly multiplied in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests in obedient, were obedient to the faith. Look here. It's still true. When a church has deacons who are in God's will, fulfilling their biblical role, there will be unity within the church, and that unity within the church will cause evangelism to spread. So, if there's a scriptural way for deacons to be used, if there's a scriptural way, it would stand to reason there must be an unscriptural way, right? You've got scripture, there may be an unscriptural way. Look here, how do, we, how do we know when a church is using deacons in an unscriptural manner? You see, many churches have strayed from the biblical design for the office of deacon, and because of this, they brought a lot of problems upon themselves because of that, because of deacons wanting to run the church rather than serve the church. I've seen it where it's brought a lot of problems on churches. One such thing a modern-day churches you know, have created, which has brought some of these trials upon them, is by creating what they call a deacon board. Listen to me. There is no such biblical thing as a deacon board. You will not find that in God's Word. You will never find, okay, the concept of the deacon board taught within Scripture. I challenge you to show me that. Okay, because here's the thing, you know, the, the very term board, when you talk about a board, the very term means to govern or rule. That's what a board does. They govern or they rule what it is they're over. And that's far from the biblical design of the office of deacon. Again, I challenge you to show me different. How can a church know if they're using deacons in an unscriptural manner? There's three evidences that deacons are operating under the concept of a board rather than being scriptural. Let's look at those. First of all, when all major recommendations from church, for church operations and church committees are screened by the deacons, rather they should go before the congregation. In other words, if somebody comes up something, even a committee, you know, comes up with something, okay, well, you got to take it to the deacon board to see if the deacon board wants to bring it before the congregation. Listen, any member of the Baptist church, any member of this church, Fairview Baptist Church, has the freedom and the right to bring anything before a church business meeting without going through anyone else, Okay. You have that right. You have that freedom. So a church, if everything's got to be screened by the deacons, that is an unscriptural church. The second thing is when a pastor and staff members must answer directly to the deacons rather than the church. And let me just tell you this. Uh, 
you know, I, I was at a church, the last church I was at. I was brought in by two deacons, okay? And they told me to never again preach on pre, uh, uh, premarital sex. Never again can you preach on having sex outside of marriage. Yeah, and I looked at them. I said, you know what? God tells me what to preach, not you. Okay? And the problem in our nation today is because not enough pastors are preaching against sex before marriage. They didn't like that. From that day forward, they seek to have me removed. I'd been there three years when that happened. I wound up there 12 and a half years. Okay? They moved. They left. You know? But when, 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 when the pastor or staff has to answer directly to the deacons, that's an unscriptural church, okay? The third thing is when the use of expenditures of major church resources, such as the facilities, if somebody wants to use the facilities, well, you've got to go before the deacon board, okay? We, gotta buy, we need to buy this, well, you've got to go before the deacon board, okay? They must, you know, if everything must first be approved, by the deacons before coming before the church body, that is an unscriptural church and an unscriptural board. So if this is the description of the way the church utilizes its deacons, that church will always have problems and conflict, and it will never flourish. Now, if you've ever read The Baptist Deacon, I suggest to you read it if you hadn't. It's by Robert Naylor. And here's what Robert Naylor said in the Baptist Deacon. He wrote it in 1955. Read it with me. He says there, There are churches where, where deacons have appropriated themselves authority, which is contrary to the New Testament teaching. It may have gone so far that bossism has developed. In other words, we're the bosses, okay? We're the ones that make the decisions. There is a board complex and the general feeling that deacons are directors of the church. Nothing could be farther from the Baptist genius, he says, or the New Testament plan. Anywhere this condition exists, there inevitably are those who say that deacons are not needed. The truth is that such deacons as this are not needed within our churches. And let me tell you, there's a lot of churches that have a lot of deacons that way. And there's always problems in the church. So let me just conclude with this. Uh, yeah, we're doing good on time. Somebody told me this morning, they held up my, your outline, and they said, usually it's only on one side. That's not a disgruntled member. Usually it's only on one side, but there's two sides. Does that mean we're going to be here after 12? We're not. We're not. They've got a birthday party. But anyway, I said, we're not. We're not. And it looks like we're not. We're doing good. So then, what is the role of the deacon within the church? Now, if this person comes to you, one of you deacons, okay, well, I guess right now you're the only one, Kenneth, okay? So, you know, if anybody comes to you, just tell them, I don't want to hear it. Look here. At this point, tradition may create a problem for some churches, some deacons, and even some pastors. We may have grown up with the idea that the pastor and staff are called to minister and the deacons are elected to administrate or run the church. And again, this has led many churches to elect 
and refer to the deacons as a deacon board for them to look after all the administrative needs of the church, all of them. You know, I mean, there's some that even when a church calls a pastor, it's got to go before the deacon board before it can even come to the congregation. Folks, that's not the biblical design. Okay, that's not the biblical design. So this has led many churches to have some problems within it. Now, what has happened in some modern-day churches is that, is that they've actually reversed the biblical order and has a, a adversely affected the church. So what is the biblical role of the deacon, and how does the church organize itself to allow deacons to accomplish their God-given ministry that was set forth in Acts chapter 6? Here's my belief. I believe that the Acts model and the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 indicate, this is my personal feelings to you, they indicate the primary role of the deacon is ministry, such as visiting the shut-ins and caring for church families in both physical and spiritual needs. The ministry to the widows did not require the deacons to uh, um, excuse me, the ministry to the widows did require the deacons to have some administration, uh, administrative ability since they were to oversee the food distribution program, but not over the entire church. Churches grow and the deacon ministry flourishes when deacons assume their biblical role as partners with the pastor in ministering to the needs of the congregation together, together in unity. So what did we see in the early church when the pastors were spending time in prayer and study and the deacons were serving the members of the church, what did we see? Again, in verse 7, the word of God increased. Things were going like God had uh, ordained them to do. God, things were going like the body of Christ was designed to operate because, again, the word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied. So, if Fairview Baptist Church is to flourish and be a beacon on the hill to this community, this county, this state, this nation, and this world, okay, that is going to come about as the pastor is fulfilling his biblical role, as the deacons are fulfilling their biblical role, and as the congregation is fulfilling its biblical role. When everyone is working together, we're all a part of the body of Christ, right? And when the body of Christ is working the way it should, things are going to happen. Great things are going to happen. Paul put it this way. As he was talking about the body of Christ and, and, and how everyone has a specific role. And if we focus on our role and responsibility rather than attempting to carry out the role of someone else, the body of Christ, he says, is going to work for, uh, great. And here's what he says. But our bodies have many parts. He's talking there about our physical body. And God has put each part where he wants it. Okay? How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. What's Paul saying? I've got fingers, I've got hands, I've got arms. You know, it makes up who I am. All different parts. 
The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the foot, I don't need you. And Paul is saying the body of Christ is the same way. God has put people in his body as certain parts. And when all those parts are working together, then he says the body of Christ is going to function as it was designed to. So just as our physical body has many parts and they all work together, so has God designed his church, his body. But until one knows Christ as their personal Savior, let me tell you, they're not a part of the body of Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you're not a part of the body of Christ. I mean, you're not even a little toe, okay, to stump on the side of the bed at night when you get up. You're, you're, you're nothing. You're not a part of the body of Christ if you do not know Christ as your personal Savior. But how does one become a part of, of the body of Christ? How can you get to the point God says, all right, boom, you're a part of my body and here's what I want you to do. Here's your role. Here's your responsibility. Carry it out. How do we do that? Paul told the church at Rome, if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're going to be saved. And you know what happens when you're saved? You become a part of the body of Christ. Now you begin working with the rest of the body to carry out what it is God designed for you to do. And once you have by faith accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's going to give you a special part in his body. Isn't that great? You know, you, you, you may not be the head, you may not be the neck, but you're going to have a special part in the body of Christ to work with everyone else to carry out his great commission. What about you this morning? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Has there been a time in your life that you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, come into your heart, and save your soul and become a part of that body. If not, you need to do that before you leave here this morning. We're going to have a song of invitation and we're going to give you that opportunity to come. Let someone talk with you, explain more about what salvation is about if you don't understand. And let's get you into that body of Christ. Let's get you as part of the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God. I'll share you for me, you.